talked with a buddy of mine yesterday. I always, before, usually before I talk about someone very personally in an illustration, I'll try to go and ask them, is it okay if I talk about you? So I messaged a couple of friends of ours yesterday uh, about their debt that they had. And, uh, and he said, it's funny you uh, mentioned that because we just wrote our last check to be out of debt uh, this uh, yesterday. And so they were celebrating this weekend getting out of debt. Now for years they accumulated debt, like epic amount of debt. Like he would tell me their debt when we lived in the South and it would make me uh, need to get one of those little brown paper bags. They had car debt. They had business tax debt. They had credit card debt. They had house debt. They had every kind of debt that you can imagine. Not counting their house mortgage, just their credit card, tax, and business debt. They had $225,000 worth of debt. I know, Alicia just had a seizure. Um, It was honestly, because I was their pastor, it was killing their marriage. It was killing their future. It was killing their walk with the Lord because they knew it was wrong, but they just kept spending and kept spending and kept spending and going deeper into debt. They would feel tempted to buy a car and they would just go out and buy it. And not just like any car, like they would go out and buy one of the German cars, like, and a really nice one, you know. They would have a fight with each other and they would go do what I would call like consumer therapy. Have you ever done consumer therapy? I feel bad about myself. I'm just going to go spend some money. Uh, Yep, they would do that. Uh, They would be lazy and not wanting to cook a meal at night. They'd just go out to eat and they wouldn't go to like McDonald's or Five Guys or Chick-fil-A, they would go to like really nice restaurants and steakhouses and uh, rack up a, a nice bill at the end. They wanted to keep up with the Joneses, only the finest. And here was what their financial scoreboard became. Financial temptation one, them zero. Like they were getting their behinds kicked by debt. You don't get to $225,000 in debt overnight and you don't get there by making any wins at all. Uh, but about a year and a half ago, they started agreeing with God about their money, and, uh, and they did a few things. One, they truly repented of their debt. Remember, the biblical word repentance just means I'm going this way, and then I choose to go this way. And they were going this way with their money, and they agreed with God, and they repented of their debt, and they began to go this way. They got a plan of attack. They agreed to fight Satan's plan of keeping them in debt and run from credit card debt and spending freely. They got on what's called, the, uh, there's a guy, Dave Ramsey, who talks about the debt snowball. They got into the debt snowball. They cut up every credit card they owned. They started using an envelope system, paying their bills online. Uh, they got on a budget. His wife told me, she said, it was painful to be on that budget. She was like, it hurt. It made me mad at my husband. I was angry, but they were on a budget. And she said, we ate so much peanut butter and jelly, rice and beans and spaghetti for the last 15 months. She, I was, and I told her, I was like, well, congratulations on paying off your debt. Put some meatballs in your spaghetti. I know it's been <laughs> a long time since you've had anything like that. And so they agreed with God. They saw their debt as a spiritual issue, a temptation and a battle and a way to get victory. And they won. That's the crazy part. They won. They paid off $225,000 worth of debt in 15 months. In a year and three, I know, that's amazing. I'm like, what were you doing with your money before that? Were you burning it in the fireplace? It's incredible. Now listen, this sermon's not about money. It's about temptation. But I want us to talk about temptation. Hey, will you do me a favor? Rochelle, will you grab a chair for Miss Rochelle and bring her over here so... Rochelle, I'm going to make you move over here with everybody. Thank you, Coach. (laughs) 
Hey, good to see you. Today's sermon is not about money. Today's sermon's about temptation. And I want to ask you, so my friends, their area of temptation was money. I want to ask you today, where is your area of temptation? Maybe it's money sin. Maybe your area of temptation is sex sin. Maybe your area of temptation is cheating or taking shortcuts. Maybe your area of temptation is that you're a workaholic. Maybe you like to lie or bend the truth or not give the whole truth. Maybe you quietly struggle with addiction. Perhaps you have unseen feelings of unforgiveness or anger or lust or greed or pride or laziness. When was the last time you felt complete victory over a specific sin or temptation? Like, you, you know, there, there's this one feeling we get when we're, we haven't committed our, our go-to sin. Let's call it our pet sin. We haven't, there's a feeling we get when we haven't committed it two days, three days, four days. Has there been a moment, though, in your life where you look in the rearview mirror and that sin is so far behind you that you say, man, praise God, I have victory over this area in my life. Those sins and temptations are bullies. They're internal bullies, and God wants us to bully back a bully. So today, honestly, I'm talking to Christians, to Christ followers about the bully within and how to bully the bully of temptation. From the youngest in the room, that would be you, to the oldest, and I don't know who that is, and I don't need to know, uh, we are talking to Christ followers who, because we all fight temptation. Every one of us fights temptation. And we all need to get on God's agenda for bullying the internal bully of temptation. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to listen closely. If you are not a Christian today, I want to ask you to listen to what God is calling Christians to. Because uh, one day I pray that you choose to follow Jesus. And even if you don't, pray for us. Because this is a war that God has called us to win in the, because Jesus has already won it at the cross. Now let me say today, uh, I've written out a manuscript to me, when, if you ever show up, usually my notes look like this. This is a sermon where I'm probably not going to get myself in trouble. This one's so important today, but I've written it out word for word. And I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm going to read it pretty close. Because we need to hear what God wants to say to us about temptation. So, Scott, if you'll pull that first slide up. I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians 10, just one verse today, 13. I'm going to read it to you from two different translations. The first one I'm going to read is the one, your paper Bible, page 1059 or 557, depending on if you have large print or small. And the next one I'm going to read it to you from the message because I think it's very, very powerful. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man or common to humanity. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Let me read it to you from the message because I love it. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need is to remember that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He will always be there to help you come through it. Man, that's powerful. That's what God would say to us about the bullies around us. Now, let me just give you some background really briefly, one paragraph of it. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. I don't know if you remember the church at Corinth. They're the wildest church that we see in the New Testament. 
uh, as an example, a couple of examples of their wildness. They had, remember the rich people were getting to church early and they were drinking the wine at the communion table and there was enough wine at the table for the whole church, but because they were excluding the poor people, they were getting hammered. So when church started, all the rich people were drunk and there was no more wine for communion. The poor people were like, Where's, we see the bread, where's the wine? And, uh, and so you had a guy who was having sex with his stepmom and, uh, and Paul, and the church is applauding it. They're like, good job, dude, older lady. And Paul is like, what is wrong with you? This guy's doing this. You guys are applauding it. What's wrong with you people? Are you sick? And then they're having fights about their current pastor and their last pastor. And they're like, well, I like this guy. And some of them are like, I like this guy. This guy stinks as a preacher. And this guy could preach. And they're fighting about who's the better pastor. And so Paul is talking to them here about idolatry. And specifically, he's talking with them because he's in the context of this thing with the guy and his stepmom. He's specifically speaking about sex sin and about temptation in that area. Now, I want to tell you a couple of quick things about temptation that are really important. Sometimes I'll run my sermons by Natalie, and I'll, we've been married 15 years, and she sees a lot of my blind spots. So the other night I said, tell me what I need to know about temptation. Now I had all my notes written out, uh, but I wanted to hear her perspective. And these were the couple of things she said. We have slides for them, but Scott stepped into the restroom real quick, so let me share this. One... Sin, and this is not a slide, but let me define it. Sin is missing the mark of God's perfect holy standard doing something. So if you can imagine a bullseye on that wall over there, okay? Just imagine it right over there. It's a huge target, and I'm an archer, right? And I'm pulling back the bow and arrow, and I'm going to release it, and it's going to hit the target, right? Now, it could be that I'm a terrible archer, which is a fact, and it may just hit the wall and bounce off. It might be that I hit the target, but not the bullseye. God has a bullseye for everyone's life, and anytime we miss his perfect standard, that is sin. Sin is falling short of God's glory. We all do it. We don't hit the bullseye every time. In our actions, our thoughts, our words, we miss the mark. And God knows it. He, he doesn't expect that we're going to be perfect. He knows we're broken. And so rather than us having to work our way to God by getting it right every time, God in Jesus has worked his way to us and invited us into his family. So sin could be doing anything against God. Could be external. Could be internal. It may be something that's obvious and seen. We love to pick on everybody's seen sins. You know what I mean? Like, it's obvious in this neighborhood when somebody's high. It's obvious in this neighborhood when somebody has brokenness that they're wearing on their sleeve. I have things going on in my heart at times, and I guarantee you that you do too, that are grosser and darker than seeing someone stumble down the street dealing with addiction. There's some things that aren't obvious. They're disguised and unseen. And sin caused Jesus to have to lay down his life and die in our place. Now, Scott, if you'll go to that next slide for me. Temptation, this is important. And this is what Natalie said. So this is way wiser because it comes from her, these next two things. Temptation is not sin. Temptation's not sin. Even Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. So just because we're tempted... And we're bullied by a bully of temptation does not mean that we committed sin. We don't have to feel condemned by being tempted. To be human includes being tempted. Temptation becomes sin when we start to act on it. 
and we begin to rebel against God. Just because someone's tempted to rob a bank, there's been times I've thought about it, doesn't mean that I have committed a sin. It's when I begin to buy a mask with the little eyes in it. And then I think about how I'm going to get my plan to get in and out of the bank. And then I begin to go and I pull up to the bank and I walk into the bank and I've, I would never actually hold a gun. So I've got my finger gun and I've got a pocket. Like that's when it becomes sin. Okay. When I begin to act on it, to be tempted is not sin. And we don't have to feel convicted by it. Second thing that we need to see, Scott, if you'll go to this one, temptation, and this is really important, is not from God. Temptation is not from God. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and God himself tempts no one. God has never tempted me. He has never tempted you. He will never tempt me. He will never tempt you. When we are tempted, we are tempted by the dark person within us, and by Satan himself and his evil kingdom. God is not the one who tempts us. Because if, if God was the one who was tempting us, then we would have some excuse. We could say, oh, well, I sinned. But God let that temptation into my life because he wanted to grow me. And that's not true. Temptation is meant to cause us to stumble and fall and be destroyed. And that's why I want to encourage you to come next week because we'll talk even more about that. Now, here's the three big things I think we see in this verse. One, temptation is common to humanity, if you'll go to that slide. The passage says that that temptation is common to man. Temptation is nothing new to humanity. I've got another slide for this one. We're going to move. Oh, no, there it is. You got it right there. We're going to see new ways to, to sin thanks to time and technology. Like, there's new ways to commit sins that were not available to humans 2,000 years ago. Like, I think about what the car and the internet and the television and sports and other things, they've given us a way to new ways to sin. But there's no new sins. There's nothing that Ricky is going to do. How old are you? 16? 15? 15? There's nothing that Ricky is going to do as a 15-year-old man that had he lived 2,000 years ago during Jesus' day, he still wouldn't have been tempted by. There's no new sins. Temptation is common to humanity. Even all our temptations were common to Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Every temptation, do you ever just want to yell at somebody? You can show your hands. It's all right. Thank you. I was feeling bad. I want to yell at people all the time. Do you ever just want to, like, do you ever just want to make fun of people for being dumb? Like, does anybody? Okay, good. A couple more. Not as many. Some of you are nicer than Coach Coleman and and I. Uh, Listen, think about Jesus, the Son of God, walking the earth. You know that there had to be times with people where he was like, shaking that head. And wanted to make fun of him. What is wrong with you people? He was the son of God. And so when Jesus was tempted, if, if anybody understood temptation, it was human Jesus walking earth as holy God with skin on. Temptation is common to man. Even Jesus understands our temptations and he gets us. Whatever tempts you, Jesus gets you and has been tempted in the same ways, probably more so because he was holy without sin. At your, now I'm going to ask you a question, and you don't answer it out loud. 
but I want you to chew on it for about five seconds. At your specific age and life situation, are there temptations that seem to come up over and over and seek to overtake you, as Paul wrote? See, all temptation is common to man, but there's some things that some of us are going to deal with at different ages and stages and places of life that we may not deal with as much at other ages and stages and places in life. Understand that your temptation is common to humanity. Scott, if you'll go to the next slide, and this is important. The passage says, there is nothing ever beyond our ability. There's never going to be a temptation that's beyond our ability. God knows what you and I can handle. He isn't letting Satan and temptation take you down. Whatever you struggle with as you lean on Jesus, you have what it takes to overcome. Sometimes I will ask my boys to help carry the groceries into the house. Now Noah's 10 and Owen is 7. Owen just finally broke 50 pounds. He weighed this week, weighed 52. It's like a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. We have... Uh, he has struggled to gain weight all his life. At 52 pounds, there is not a lot he can carry. You know, we'll give him a grocery bag, and he's like lugging it up the steps, can barely get up. Noah can carry a little more than Owen can, right? He's older, he's taller, he's much heavier, and he can just carry more than his brother can, right? Natalie can carry more than Noah and Owen, and I can carry the most. And so I'm the one who gets to scoop all the bags up on the arm like this and carry them up the steps. And I need to be carrying the most because I'm the biggest and the strongest in our house with no disrespect to the other three. God knows what you can carry. And the Bible says he will never, ever give you more than you can carry. He's not trying to make you stumble and fall. He wants you to win. God doesn't send you into a fight to lose. He loves you too much for that. However, we do have to own our appetites and attitudes and know our triggers. You have to know what causes you to stumble. God's not going to give you more than you can handle, but when it comes to temptation, but you need to know where you're most tempted. Is it late at night? Is there a restaurant? Is there a place at the school? Is there a... Uh, cubicle at your work? I don't know. You need to know where you're most tempted. You need to know who you're most tempted with. Are there people that cause you to stumble? You need to know when you are most tempted to cave into your sin. And you need to figure out what you're going to do about it and how radical you want to be to get the victory. In the recovery community, they use the acronym HALT. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? I am more inclined to sin when I am hungry angry, lonely, and tired. I think that's pretty true for me. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Our friends, the thing that triggered them was those credit cards. That was causing them to stumble, so they cut up their credit cards and removed the temptation because it wasn't beyond their ability, but they had to know their weakest spot. Because they knew that Satan knew their weakest spot. They go and they didn't have the money in the bank account, so they just put it on the credit card. And that was how they were doing their life. Know your weakest spot because you can be guaranteed the enemy Satan does. And we'll talk about him next week. The next slide that Paul, uh, I want to share, the next thing he says is there will always be a way of escape. There will always be a way of escape. Now, my wife uh, has some fun little obsessions. And one of her obsessions, whenever she goes to a movie theater, she always checks for all the exits. Does anybody else do this? A couple of you? Good. Yep. Yep. 
She always knows where the exits are. She always has a plan to get out of that movie theater if there is a fire or something dangerous. She knows how she's going to get out. Regardless of your temptation, God will always create an exit if you are looking for it and if you will take it. He promises. He promises. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will, not might, not maybe, not probably, not usually, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible tells us to flee temptation. Your way of escape is you got to run. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, the very next verse after the one we're looking at today says, Therefore, because God's providing a way of escape, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The way of escape is that you run. In 1 Timothy 6, 11, and 12, it says, Flee temptation and pursue righteousness, faith, and love along with those who call on God out of a pure heart. Flee and pursue God. And then... In the next verse, he says, and fight, but you fight Satan by fleeing temptation. The way you fight Satan is by fleeing temptation. You don't fight Satan like, that's not how it works. We fight Satan's kingdom by running from temptation and getting out of a burning building. And so God may provide a way of escape. Here's the way of escape I've had in my life. I've had a knock on the door when I was about to do something stupid. I've received a text message. I have been interrupted. I've had an internal alarm system go off somewhere between deep in my stomach and my brain telling me, stop, stop, you're about to do something dumb. That's God providing a way of escape. I've had an image of my grandmother come on me. Man, Harriet Sanders. I can just, like, the look of disappointment in Harriet Sanders' face, that southern, passive-aggressive, She would never rebuke you or spank you. She would just let you know you disappointed her expectations. My grandmother's image has kept me from a lot of sin. Uh, Bible verses or quotes from a sermon. An accountability partner who was going to ask me, how was I doing with, has saved me a lot of times. When it comes to temptation and bullying the bullying within. And Scott, this is the slide. If you're going to write anything down, take any photo of a picture today. Here it is. When it comes to temptation, flight is your best fight. Flight's your best fight. In God's economy, flight is your best fight. The way out is not not being tempted. We all need temptation. Nobody grows in a gym. Do you guys have to lift weights, garments? Not yet. Not yet? All right. The only way to get stronger in the gym is to put more weight on than you can handle. If I just go in and lift the 45-pound bar, I'm never going to get stronger. I can lift a 45-pound bar. What I cannot do as a 42-year-old man is put a... A 45-pound bar, put two 45s on this side and two 45s on this side and get to 225 and do it multiple times. I can't do that anymore. I can barely do it in my prime. But you know what? 225 is the number where I'm going to get stronger because the resistance is so strong that it's going to cost me to get there. It's going to hurt. You won't get stronger in your faith and ability to fight temptation by not being tempted. God is going to allow temptation to come your way to grow you as you learn to defeat temptation. Defeating temptation grows your faith, your character, your witness, your fellowship, and your empathy towards others. So I want to tell you uh, a couple of ways to, uh, to fly uh, rather than fight. 
One, look for the escape. Look for the escape. Paul talks about God always providing the way of escape. If you'll go to the, the go skip this one. All right, that, that one right there. Three ways to look for the escape. One, escape the battlefield. There's a situation in Genesis where Joseph is a good-looking young man, and he is uh, being, uh, he's a house slave for a, a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is out of town on business, and his wife wants to have relations with him. And she corners him alone in the house one day and grabs him by the coat and says, come to bed with me. And he ends up literally, like you would see in a cartoon, running out in his underwear and her holding onto the coat while he is gone. And a theologian has said, it's better to lose a good coat than a good conscience. Look for escape. Escape the battlefield of temptation. Search for the way out. I'm not perfect. There have been times in my life escaping the battlefield has gotten me out of some sin habits that used to control me. I'm different than I was a year ago and five years ago and ten years ago by God's grace because I've learned to run away from the battle. And so God has given me victory over a temptation, and it's happened by changing habits, getting rid of something, ending a relationship, avoiding certain places and certain things, replacing lies in my mind with truth, getting brutal accountability, adding some discipline, trusting God radically. And listen, costly victory always feels better than cheap defeat. That works on the basketball court. A costly victory is better than a cheap defeat, and it works with God. Costly victory is better than cheap defeat. Always, 100% of the time. Uh, This is not my notes, which is always dangerous. The last uh, young woman I dated before I dated Natalie, there was this principle at work right here. That relationship was going to lead me down a path that was going to destroy me spiritually and destroy my integrity. And I had to run from the relationship. And it was painful for her and painful for me. And I felt like I got out of there with my conscience intact uh, by God's grace. You have to run sometimes from the, the battlefield. The second thing I would tell you about escape, Scott, if you'll go to this one, you gotta escape fighting alone. You're not meant to fight this battle alone. You need to let a trusted friend know about your temptation. The phrase we use around here for that would be an accountability partner. Everybody needs someone to know uh, what's going on, but everybody doesn't need to know everything. Everybody doesn't have to know everything, but somebody needs to know everything. Everybody doesn't have to know everything, but somebody needs to know everything. There, There are men in my life who I tell things that I wouldn't even tell my wife. She doesn't need to know them. But I don't need to just hang on to them privately either. Somebody needs to know everything that I struggle with and am tempted by. And by the way, if you go to get an accountability partner, guys, don't pick a woman to be your accountability partner who is not your wife. Right? And women, if you need an accountability partner, it doesn't need to be a man who is not your husband. It needs to be of the same sex. And then the, the third thing about looking for the escape, I would say escape being bullied by thoughts. Begin to take your thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. I memorized this years ago. It says, uh, now we 
uh, demolish arguments and every pretentious idea that sets itself up against knowing God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I had to create a, the idea of a prison in my brain. And when a thought would come into my brain that didn't need to be there, I had to open the prison door, put it in there and say, by the blood of Jesus, you're not having free reign here. Throw it in, throw the key away. We've got to stop letting our thoughts bully us around. We've got to take them captive. Second thing, look for escape. Second thing I think Paul would say is prepare for the moment. Prepare for the moment. Replace godless, idolatrous, sinful desires with godly habits and thoughts. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of how much the Father loves you, how Jesus died for you, how the Spirit is in you, giving you power for victory, how the church needs you in the fight, how the lost world is watching your life to see if the gospel is as powerful as the Bible says that it is. John Bloom uh, wrote an article on the Desiring God website. He said, a man who desires to view pornographic images can resist this desire, but only if he considers a competing desire, such as inheriting the kingdom of God or cherishing his wife or avoiding the shame of being caught uh, will will result in a superior pleasure. A woman who desires to smoke a cigarette can resist that desire because of her superior desire to enjoy more robust health now and avoid lung cancer later in the future. Jesus desired to avoid crucifixion and bearing the Father's wrath, but he endured it because he desired even more the superior eternal joy set before him. Likewise, a Christian who denies himself picks up his cross and follows Jesus because he wants the same eternal life of joy more than earthly pleasures. It's true of all temptation. We replace an immediate desire of you got to do this now, you got to look at that, you got to say that, you got to do that, you got to go there with a long term desire of how is this going to honor God and make me a godlier man and a better follower of Jesus, or a godly woman and a better follower of Jesus. Skip that. The third thing I want to tell you is lean into grace. We've all felt the victory of fleeing temptation and avoiding sin, and every one of us in this room has felt the shame and disappointment of lingering too long, of caving in, bargaining, and giving in to sin. When you fall, I want to tell you that God is faithful. When you fall this week and you cave into temptation, I want you to know that God is faithful. And you don't have to grovel before God. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. The cross is proof that God has already forgiven you. When you fall, God is faithful. The Bible says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you look at the journey ahead, it's like, God, how am I going to get out of this struggle? Understand that Paul said God is faithful. When you get victory, defeating sin, understand that God is faithful. Now, here's what it's going to be like. Have you ever seen old people sitting on a porch? just relaxing without a care in the world in a rocking chair, when you're fighting sin, it's going to feel like a heavyweight fight. And you're fighting. I've had friends who have given up, who have won a fight with pornography. I've got friends who've won a fight over uh, being addicted to cigarettes, drugs, alcohol. I've got friends, my friends that I was just sharing about, who've uh, fought the battle of getting $225,000 worth out of debt. It was a fight, like a heavyweight fight. But now... They sit back like old people in the rocking chair. And they say, man, look what God did. Whew, God was faithful. He delivered us from that debt. Whew, man, God was faithful. He delivered me from that that struggle. God got me. I was used to be defeated all the time. I have a friend, he would tell me he would look at pornography all day long from sunrise to sunset. He was married. 
and God set him free from it. And he said in the middle of it, it was like he said, I was in a heavyweight fight trying to win. He said, now I look back and I say, man, God set me free from that struggle. That's not my struggle anymore. When you get victory over sin and temptation, God is faithful. The Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Remember, God is faithful. If you wonder if God is faithful, look at the cross, look at the empty tomb, and understand that we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Jesus has already won. Satan only has as much power as God lets him have. It's like a dog on a leash. He only has as much power as God lets him have. This doesn't mean we won't still sin and be tempted. It means we don't have to. Um, that temptation's powerful grip on us has been loosened. And Jesus has set us free to get victory. Uh, one of my favorite old theologians from hundreds of years ago is a guy named John Owen. It's uh, part of how Owen, my son, got his name. John Owen said, temptation's like a knife that may either cut the meat or cut the throat of a man. It may be his food or his poison, his exercise or his destruction. I pray temptation will mature you as you remember God's faithfulness. Flee it and fight back against the bully Satan. How do you bully the bully without, how do you bully the external bully? Non-retaliation and love. How do you bully the internal bully? You fight by flight. You fight by fleeing. I want to encourage you this week. I've got um, some note cards. When we receive communion in a moment, I'm going to grab them. And I'm going to set them right back here on the table. I meant to set them out already. I want to encourage you this week to write down 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this week to memorize it. You say, man, I can't memorize a whole Bible verse. Okay, memorize part of a Bible verse. Memorize what you can. And next week, I want you to look someone in the faith. When you come on Sunday and say, did you memorize any of that verse this week? It might be that all you memorize is God is faithful. That's a good start. It might be that you memorize the whole thing. That will be even better. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you crumble under the weight of it, but he will provide a way of escape. I want you to memorize all of it or part of it. So the response, uh, the invitation today is, Three things. One, I want to invite you to fill out the rest of your communication card. If there's anything that God's doing with you and your heart today, I want to encourage you to write it down. And if there's a temptation area that's kicking your behind and you just want prayer for it, write it on that blank there where it says other. Just write it down. Put your name on it. Throw it in the basket. Nobody's going to see those but me. And I will be praying for you and with you this week. The second part of the invitation is to receive communion. Communion here is open to believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, walking in a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to come and receive communion. Communion is the reminder that Jesus wins and his people get victory. That's not going to save you. It's not going to make you a better Christian. It reminds us that Jesus wins and we are family. And then the third thing I want to invite you to is to memorize the scripture. Write it down on a note card. Put it somewhere where you'll see it. Memorize all of it or part of it, but work on it this week. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. How would our church be different if we began to move from victory to victory over temptation? How would you carry yourself? Have you ever looked in the mirror starting your day and just felt strong? You ever do that? Yesterday I ate less sugar than normal. And this morning I just felt strong. I ran two miles yesterday. It's been a long time since I've run two miles. I've been kind of lazy this summer, right? I went and I ran two miles. I almost died. 
went to the Charlestown High track. I, at at 1.5 miles, everything in me wanted to quit, and I went to I went another half mile. This morning, I looked in the mirror. I was like, "Man, I feel like a new person." What if in your spiritual life you pushed past the temptations that cause you to stop and stumble? How strong would you feel in Christ if you get victory? How would you carry yourself differently? How would it affect you and your relationships with God and other people? And I pray today that we would endure and begin to live in victory. Let me pray for us.